learn from that as well. Again, I'm also thrilled about those who are new here today. You're at the right place today. You're at the right address. Anybody here at the right address with them? You know, uh, recently the American Bible Society published an article giving the statistic that 60% of millennials who don't know Jesus, 60% of millennials who don't know Jesus have never opened a Bible. And so uh, you might say, you know, that's, that's kind of how I'm like. I may or may not be millennial, but the Bible is pretty foreign to me. And I'm just thrilled again that you're here because we're going to open the Bible. And you knock that off your bucket list, and I hope that you open it and uh, start devouring it and consuming it. Um, as we get situated, I just wanted you to know if you're, if you're new to the Bible, the Bible is, uh, is inspired by God. God breathed it out and spoke through human authors. There's an Old Testament and a New Testament. There are 39 books in the Old, 27 in the New. And the Old Testament is God's story from creation, him calling it the nation of Israel and putting his blessing and, and through all this, giving himself glory and, and promising to restore what was broken when humanity rebelled. And in the New Testament, Jesus comes on the scene. Uh, he always existed, but he became a man in the New Testament. And the first four books of the New Testament is the life of Jesus. And after that, we see the story of the church and how God works through his church and so today we're going to pick up in the book of Philippians, which is in the New Testament. If it's, you don't have a Bible, there's one in a chair in front of you. We give them away every week. If you don't own a printed Bible, please take that one. We're on page 980 this morning, page 980. I'm excited to open this with you guys, unpack it. And man, I'm expecting God to show up through his word this morning. I hope you are too. But let's pray to that end, and let's not assume it. Let's say, God, uh, meet us here and, and prepare our hearts. Father in heaven, we want our hearts to be a soil that is tilled, not, not dried up, but a soil that's tilled, prepared for the seed of the gospel to be sown. Lord, I pray you would sow those seeds this morning. God, I pray that you would not let the enemy come like a bird and snatch those seeds. Lord, I pray that the cares of this world would not choke them out, Lord. But I pray that your word would bear fruit today, 50-fold, 100-fold. God, rock us this morning, as you've already been doing, Lord. You've been, you've been working. Your spirit is here. But I pray you might give us ears to hear and eyes to see in your word what your spirit wants us to hear and see, Lord. So, God, I, I pray you would show up. I pray that we would not be hard-hearted. And Lord, I pray that we would be eager and radical in our obedience. God, that we would do what you tell us, not make excuses, not, not put it away. But Lord, just say it. God, I will do your will. Would you give that to us this morning? I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, family, you may have heard the phrase catch 22. Is anybody familiar with that? In 1961, uh, a writer by the name of Joseph Heller, wrote a novel titled Catch-22. And in the novel, he tells a story of World War II, the, the different men who were in the Air Force, and they were sent on missions, and they didn't want to keep going, this, this group of three or four men, because they knew that every time they went out, it was an insane kind of uh, task that they had. They, they, they knew that they may not make it back after that voyage. And so what happens is the main 
actor in the book, Yosarian, he starts finding ways to try to get out of these missions. And in this desire to get away from these deadly missions, he realizes maybe what we can do, what I could do, is pretend like we're insane. And being insane then could be the only way to get out of the mission. And in fact, one of the doctors uh, confirmed that, that that is the way you get out of it. And so this guy, Usarian, starts looking for his friend who goes by the last name of Orr. And he says, can Orr get out of the mission if he's crazy? And he's, the doctor says, absolutely. He says, wonderful. So can he get out? He's like, yes. Well, what does he need to do to get out? And the doctor says, all he needs to do is come and tell me that he's crazy. And he's like, that's it? Exactly. So when he tells you he's crazy, he gets out of the mission. The doctor's like, no. He said, well, what do you mean? Like, well, if he tells me he's crazy, then clearly he's not because no, no sane person wants to go on the mission, so he's making it up. So the guy's like, so if he tells you he's crazy, that proves that he's not, so he has to go on the mission. And if he doesn't say anything and goes on the mission, he's indeed crazy, but nonetheless still on the mission. And the doctor's like, like precisely. He said, that's what I call the catch-22. No matter what you say, you got to go on the mission. And that phrase has become known in our society about circumstances in life where we feel like we've got a lose-lose option. You ever feel like that? The scenario you're in, no matter which way you turn, at the fork of the road, you turn left, it says dead end, you turn right, it says dead end, and you're like, I don't know where to go. It's those scenarios in life when someone tells you, heads I win, tails you lose. Let's flip. And you say, it's a catch-22. You know, the truth of the matter is all of us are confronted in times in life where we feel like things are presented before us and we just haven't got a way out that works for our benefit. And you might, you might say, you know, I'm not quite in that place, but even the way out, the, the win in this scenario has got its plenty of bumps and bruises along the way. Things are pretty rough here. You, you might feel like you've got a catch-22 in your relationship with Jesus, in your relationship with people around you. You might feel like you've got a catch-22 in the circumstances and scenarios in your life. And you're just saying, man, what do I do? It's a lose-lose, and at best, it's a lose-win, but even the win seems pretty weak. You know, in the Bible, in the book of Philippians, we find also Paul. He's a missionary, a man who followed Jesus. He's in what appears to be a catch-22. He's in prison because he's following Jesus and telling people about Jesus. And there he is in a jail cell, and you might think, if you stay there, well, you're a prisoner to lose. But if you get out, if you're genuinely a Christian, you're going to keep preaching, which means you'll get back in. That's another lose. Paul appears to be in a lose-lose situation, a scenario where he can't get out of things, the kind of scenario you might feel like you're in today, maybe choices you've made or others have made, whatever it is, I want you to think twice about the truthfulness catch 22. Family, I want you to rise to your feet if you're able to. And let's read from the book of Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 through 26. 21 through 26, I'm sorry. I'm going to read the first several verses and then 25 and 26, we'll all read together aloud, all right? This is what the Bible, God's word says to us 
about Paul's apparent catch-22 in prison. Paul says this in verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, but that is far better. Can you say far better? But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Let's read verses 25 and 26 like we believe it. Convinced of this, Man, you may be seated. I'm going to give you the spoiler alert. Paul's looking at a catch-22, and he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, what looks like a lose-lose scenario actually for me is a win-win. Yeah, I'm locked up. Yeah, I'm in prison. And yes, I may get executed, but it's still a win-win. Yeah, I'm locked up. Yeah, I'm in prison. I may get released, but if I get released, I'll probably end up back here, but it's still a win-win. To me, I want to know what's behind that. It's interesting to me. He says, I am hard-pressed between the two options. Think about that. He's looking at death, and he's looking at life, and he's like, I don't know which is better right now. I'm torn between the two. It's a kind of tug of war in my soul that's going on here based on these circumstances, this hard-pressed scenario. You know, as I think about this, I think a lot of us tend to lean one way or another in life, and it may depend on the circumstance. I think sometimes we've fallen so in love with our lives in the now that the thought of death or eternity does not sound enjoyable to us. The pleasures of today have blinded our tomorrows. And yet there may be others of us who are on the opposite side, like this life is not worth it. I want out. To die sounds better than to live. I think if we're all honest now, we've been at both those spectrums before. We've been at both those spectrums. How do you walk down the middle and say, man, whichever I get is a win-win. How do we come to the point where this apparent catch-22 just isn't true anymore? I think a lot of us need to hear this. We need to know and understand what it is that God has for us. And what Paul tells us is simple terms, verse 21, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's his answer to the catch-22, and that, of course, needs unpacking. But one thing I want to draw to our attention is pretty amazing. You see, Paul wrote this in Greek. That's what the New Testament was written in. And in Greek, he rakes this phrase to rhyme. It's a, it's a phrase that has a cadence to it so that it's memorable. It's kind of like a first-century one-liner he just drops on them. I think this is pretty dope. I'm going to tell you what it says in the Greek so you can just hear it out. He says... Tazen Christos ta apathanen kerdas. Tazen Christos ta apathanen kerdas. 
He's, he wants them to remember what this is like. It's like to live is Christ my aim and to die my gain, you know? He, he's putting these words together. Saying, I don't want you to forget this. When you're looking at catch-22s in your life, when you're at the fork of the road and everything seems to say dead end, you must understand there is a win-win. Now, it's true, though. Our circumstances aren't always easy, and they're not turning out the best. And Paul's like, hey, I'm locked up saying this. This is not about my present scenario, but it's about the circumstances of my soul. That's at play here. And for him, he says, this is what I need you to know. I love how the message, you might be familiar with this Bible uh, summary translation. It says this, alive, I'm Christ's messenger. Dead, I'm his bounty. Life versus even more life, I can't lose. I like that. So what is it to mean when Paul says, to live is Christ. See, that's the first part of what appears to be the catch-22. It's life. Life in prison, life locked up, life, life released, life getting relocked up, beaten, ostracized for his faith, made fun of, insulted. And Paul says, to me, to live is Christ. Now, if you're like me, I find that a bit grammatically awkward, don't you? To live is Christ. Like, what does that exactly mean? I think what Paul is telling us here, it's a direct way of saying my life is consumed with Jesus. He says he rules my heart, he rules my steps, he rules me internally, he rules me externally, he informs my life's desires, my life direction, everything I do so long as I got breath is for Christ. To live is Christ. Another way to see that is in verse 20, Paul says this. He says, whether in life or death, look at verse 20. He says, I want it to be that Christ is honored in my body. That word honored has the word mega in front of it in the Greek. And what mega means, it's exalted. He says, I want Christ to be lifted high through my body, through my life. That's what it means to say to live is Christ. And what Paul is saying, no matter what is going on in my circumstances, this could hold true. That Christ lives in me, Christ lives through me, and Christ is living out in my life no matter where I'm at, no matter what's going on. I belong to Jesus, he's saying. For me to live, then, is a win scenario, even when my circumstances are rough. In fact, if we look at chapter 3, verse 8, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. He's in prison saying that. And he says, I count all these other things, oh, rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Paul's saying the, the pinnacle of my earthly existence is that Jesus would live through my life in such a way that it is like a megaphone in front of others to see and to hear. Family, this is is a matter of identity. Because Paul understands that who he is as a follower of Jesus has rocked him and wrecked him in such a way that all that matters most is that Jesus is exalted in his life. Paul knows his identity. And I think if you're a follower of Jesus, or you've been a part of the local church, or you've heard us preach week in and week out, we, we hear those words every Sunday 
But we got to take a step further and walk in that identity. Now, don't just know that that's the truth, but live out this truth no matter what's going on. He doesn't let the fact that he's in prison make him merely a prisoner. He's suffering, but he's not merely a suffering saint. He's discouraged, but he's not despairing. He's struck down, but he's not destroyed. Because he knows above all, he belongs to Jesus. To live is Christ. I've only been to a few Broadway musicals, but I'm always fascinated how complex they are, yet how simple they come across. They have this grand orchestra playing live music under the ground there. You can, you can look over the rail and see them. Depending on the show, there are choirs at times and, and dancers and actors and supporting actors and all kinds of moving parts, stage crew, people moving things along as the scenes progress. But one thing that strikes me is you never wonder from one scene to the next where you need to have your attention. You never are saying, hey, I don't know where to look right now because where you look is told to you by one single thing, and that's the spotlight. The spotlight tells you in the midst of the chaos where to put your focus. It tells you what is of prime importance in the middle of the complex play. And what Paul is saying is this, no matter where my life is going, my life's ambition is to put that spotlight on he who is of prime importance. There should be no question when people see my life what my life is about. There shouldn't be any wonder what drives me, what inspires me, what I'm living for, because if you simply look at where my spotlight is, you know it's Jesus. Paul says, to live is Christ. That's my spotlight. And as he puts the spotlight on Jesus, then what is he doing in this life? What are we to do as we put the spotlight on Jesus, as we draw attention to him? Paul says this in verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. He's saying, if I stay alive, I got fruitful labor in front of me. Now, for a lot of us, the word labor doesn't sound very fun. It kind of sounds like work, doesn't it? That's exactly what the word labor actually means. So Paul's like, man, if I live, I get to do some fruitful work, though. You, you see, he has a, a purpose, a divine purpose on his life. And he's saying there's an advantage to living. Look what he says in verse 24. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Paul's like, man, like, to me to live is Christ. I want to exalt him. I want people to know what I'm about. But as I live, I walk in this identity and take action in serving others. There is a selflessness about him. He's writing to the church saying, I am here, if I remain on this earth, I'm here to bless you guys, to instruct you, to labor, to work for your progress and your joy in the faith. This is a guy who puts it all out there, basically saying remaining alive accomplishes the purpose of both serving Jesus by serving others. To live is Christ. But you know what's also pretty cool is Paul's like, I got this win-win situation. If I live, I know it's going to be rough, but I can do some fruitful work. I can serve my Jesus. I can spotlight him. 
That's one side of the winning coin, but there's another side. And he says he's hard-pressed between the two. But you got to understand here, he tells us he's hard-pressed between two options, living and dying, but there's no confusion which is better for him. He says in verse 20, 22, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is what? Far better. He's like, I got a win-win going on, but they're not equal wins. It's one thing to win the opening game of the season. It's another thing to win the championship game. In either scenario, it's a win-win, but they're not of equal value. And Paul looks at it and says, to live is Christ. I would love to lay down my life for Jesus every day. He's like, but to die? Now that is gain. That, that's, that is benefit. That's profit in my life. I find that fascinating. That here he is, counting life so wonderful, but says, you know what? Death would be far better. And you might think, like, this guy's kind of, he's kind of kind of out there. That's a little bit morbid. Saying, like, death sounds so far better than life. But it's not just a man who's despairing, but this is a guy who understands what God offers him. He's like, I'm good here on earth. And if Jesus took me, I wouldn't complain. He says, to die is gain. And then he says here, in verse 23, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. To leave this earth and be with Jesus. This is something, man, that even as we're singing here this morning, just got wrecked and rocked my heart. We're singing that song, When I wake up in the land of glory, with the saints I will tell my story. When I wake up in the land, it's an instantaneous thing Paul's telling us. When I depart, I will be with Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15 says, in a twinkling of an eye, when you take your last breath, you will then be in the presence of the one you've been living for. Oh, this is far better. There's no purgatory. There's, there's no more purging that's needed. Jesus was purged for all who put their faith in him. There's, there's no soul sleep. Paul says, I am in his presence there's no annihilation, as some say, like we cease to exist. He's like, no, I exist beyond this life. This is not an escape from this life either. Paul's not like, get me out of this place. It's a horrible one. No, he's saying, it's where I want to be, but in God's timing. Nor is he saying, it's like a dreamlike experience. We, we got to get out of our minds the thought that heaven and eternal life is like this foggy, mystical, dreamlike thing that we experience. That that's not what the Bible teaches us. Paul says, I will depart and be with Jesus. Not with him in theory, not, not with him in idea, but with him. Or as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, to be absent from the body is to be where? Present with the Lord. He's like, there, there's no in-between. There, there's, no, there's no like traveling that needs to happen. I die and that moment I'm with Jesus. And so he says, to die is gain. It is a conscience entrance into the presence of the one who saved you. Man. 
See, death for Christians is not a matter of trepidation, but ought to be a matter of anticipation. It, this is not something we, we fear, not something we dread, but something we ought to anticipate. You're a child of God. You know that moment in your life when God first wrecked you. When Jesus first arrested your heart, you knew you were a sinful man or a sinful woman. But you also knew that your sin went on Jesus on that cross, and he took your punishment. You remember that. And you remember what, the, what it felt like to hear forgiven, adopted as daughters and sons by your heavenly father, who is a good father who never never takes advantage of his children. You, you might remember that feeling of when you sense the presence of the Holy Spirit for the first time. And you remember those times throughout your Christian life, and I pray they happen often, where you say, God, I know you're here in this moment. You're rocking me. I just feel the weight of your presence, and I love it. But we all know that those moments come, and then your phone rings. Or then your stomach growls. And you're like, wait a minute, come back. I don't want it to go. And then you're like, man, like, it, it, sometimes it feels that way. And when you're absent from this body, you're present with Jesus. Always unbroken, unhindered, uninterrupted to live as Christ. But yes, to die is gain. Man. And so I see Paul in what appears to be a catch-22, and he's like, this is a win-win. Don't feel bad for me. If I'm alive, I get to serve Jesus. If I get die, I get to be with him. This is good. I get to be with Jesus. I mentioned last Sunday, death is the threshold into eternity, into glory for everyone who is a child of God, into the presence of God. Man, I hope and pray that you would make that decision to follow Jesus today. You see, if you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, you stand at arm's length from him. You, you, you push God away, and God's like, I, I need you to ask for my forgiveness. I'll bring you into my family. I'll bring you hope and forgiveness. Turn from your sin, your wicked ways, and trust in me. And that's what Jesus offers us. Death in that situation no longer is a matter of trepidation. Think of the clownfish family. You guys know your Nemo fans. And you know you didn't know what an anemone was until you watched Finding Nemo. An anemone, 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 I can't even say it because Nemo can say it. It, it. It's like a plant-like creature, but it's not a plant. It's a creature. It's a living organism that has tentacles that have an electrical shock attached to them. All other fish species will die when being shocked, except for the clownfish. In a, in a twist of irony, the clownfish lives where others die. It lives with the essence of death surrounded by it. Now, what prevents the clownfish from dying is that it is covered by a mucus-like substance. So when the sting of death seeks to touch it, it's got no power over it. I need some help here today, family. See, see this, is, this is what the Bible teaches us. Death has a sting. It does. 
but only for those who are not covered by the blood of Jesus. And if we're covered by the blood of Jesus, death has no sting. And we can live even surrounded by death without the fear of death. Because Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? And then Paul goes on to say, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. To live is Christ. And to die is gain. It was Jesus who died the death that you and I deserve so that we don't have to. He stared down death so you don't have to stare down in fear. If you're a Christian today, you don't have a cat 22. Yeah, you have circumstances and either way they pan out, they're going to be rough. But ultimately in your soul, you belong to Jesus. You have a mission to spotlight Jesus. And so long as there is breath in your lungs, you've got a divine purpose in this life. What I love here is that Paul, as he goes back and forth and teeters on this line of life and death, never once, though, does he say either of them are in his control. You see that? And I know some of us, man, we're in dark days in our lives. Different things. I plead with you to never think death is in your own hands. Taking your life is never what God wants for you. Because he put that breath in your lung, and so long as you've got breath, you've got purpose. Sometimes, man, the cloud is so thick over our lives. The rain is just coming down so hard. You know what that's like. I've been there. You've been there. But you know the sun still exists above the clouds. And when you can't see it, you believe it. You say, God, help me in this place. To live is Christ, to die is gain, and to breathe is purpose. Look what Paul says in verse 25 again. Convinced of this, he believes he's going to be released. He doesn't know for sure, but he thinks, I'm probably going to get out of prison. I don't know that for sure, he says. But he says, I'm pretty convinced of this. I know that I will remain and continue with you all. But for this reason, your progress and joy in the faith. So that, so that, so that, that's a purpose clause. So that in me, you may have ample cause to what? Glory in Christ Jesus. Because of my coming to you again. Paul's like, no matter what that... The, the, the product, the end product of my life then, my ministry would be that God would be glorified through me. That's what Paul could say in 2 Corinthians 5. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by what? Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. I love it because a home, which means right now is not your home. Heaven is your home. But he says, so whether we are at home or away, for example, on earth, we make it our aim to please him. Paul, that's what it's about. That's what it's about. That's the end goal. Whether in life, whether in death, that I would please Jesus to live as Christ and to 
die as king. As we stand on that threshold of life and death, where do you lean toward today? And which circumstances are influencing how you lean? Are you saying, man, I'm infatuated with this life and actually being with Christ does not sound with you to take a longer look at Jesus. If you're at this life and you're saying, I just can't wait to take my last breath, I plead with you to look at how you can spotlight Jesus in this life. So long as there's breath in your lungs, there's purpose from God. And it's not up to us to determine the years and days, but it's to say, God, have your way with me. I hope you would see the delight of living for Jesus you would do fruitful work. If you're a business owner, if you're an entrepreneur, educator, medical professional, you're a missionary, church planner, athlete, fashion designer, whatever you do, let it be that in you, Jesus will be lifted high. So what do we make of the catch 22? Well, as one person once said, it just ain't true. I tell you, when you feel like you're confronted by a catch-22, you need a catch-21. Philippians 1.21, which says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Yeah. So there are no dead ends when we follow Jesus' will. There is no heads, you, I win, tails you lose scenario for us. Our lives have a purpose, man. And if you've never put your faith in Jesus, man, I pray you would do that today. He said, God, I'm just, I'm tired of fearing death. God, I'm tired of living this life without a purpose and knowing what I'm here for. Forgive me. God, take over my life. Jesus, I believe you died for me. Now let me live for you. In a moment, we're going to have a prayer team come up and that's the desire of your heart to, to give your life to Jesus, would you let our prayer team member know? Just come on up and have them pray for you. Or maybe today you're finding yourself leaning toward life or to death. And I said, God, I just need a right perspective. I need to see my life through your spiritual eyes. Would you let us pray with you in that? Last week we saw in verse 19 of this chapter that Paul says, I'm confident of my ultimate outcome because of your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit. And Paul acknowledges the fact that our prayers for one another as a church family matter. And I hope you would know that today. I hope you would know that. One life to a soon shall pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray for Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, for this word that I know I needed to hear today. I needed to learn this week. I think sometimes, God, I just get so consumed. I think many of us can acknowledge this with, with the here and now, and we just forget about the gain that awaits us and the joys of eternal life, that twinkling of an eye moment. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be so heavenly minded 
that we would be of utmost earthly good. Because Jesus did the same thing. God, I pray for every son and daughters of yours who is here in this room today, who is living maybe for the now or hates the now, who dreads eternity, who wants to get out of this life to get there. God, I, I pray, Lord, that they would see the love of Jesus, that they would see their identity, and that they, with full confidence, can stare down the difficult circumstances there in their lives and say, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Father, have your way with us and be exalted, we pray, in the name of Jesus, whose name is matchless and above all names. Amen. Prayer team, would you make your way forward, family? Let's rise to our feet. Please, would you ask someone to pray for you? Don't miss out on the opportunity to have a brother or sister cry out to the God of this universe on your behalf. And family, let's sing with all our might for the glory of Christ.
you for the way.